politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It is the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. Stay tuned as we explore consciousness, the fundamental nature of reality. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK in Los Angeles. Heard all over Southern California from Santa Barbara to San Diego and Really appreciate you joining us this afternoon. Hope you make it a habit every Tuesday afternoon at 1 o'clock to tune in the Ageless Wisdom Show. We've got a really important program for you today, a great show. We're going to talk about animal rights, indeed animal equality, in ways you may be familiar with, but then again, you may not have considered what I think is a much larger picture since this is a radio program and a podcast for that matter, that's devoted to the study of consciousness. And sure, that means awareness, but I think we understand, most of us, that once we get involved in becoming aware of awareness or conscious of consciousness, that there are certain values, morals or ethics, that tend to unfold as a result of the pursuit of personal development. And so by looking at animal rights and indeed considering what what does animal equality really mean? And if we're going to practice compassion for other people and self-compassion, then we're going to have to look at farm animals and look at our diet and look at the agricultural industry and look at the environment and workers' rights and so many other issues. So we're going to try and Embrace all of that today as I uh, introduce my guests. First, I just want to mention, you probably know we are in our spring fun drive here in KPFK, and we come to you several times a year in order to remain listener-sponsored. Pacifica has been on the air since the late 40s here in Los Angeles, since 1959, with never a commercial announcement. You've probably never added up the minutes, but commercial radio and TV spends nearly one-third of its time dunning you with commercial announcements, most of them really negative messages. And along with that, of course, comes editorial control, or at the very least, editorial influence. And so the founders of this specific commission years and years ago said, what if we did a radio station that was a a chain of stations, actually, because we're in Houston, we're in Washington, D.C., we're in New York and Berkeley, California, as well as here in Los Angeles. What if we did a, a chain of radio stations that was devoted to peace and social justice, to progressive views, and devoted only to our listeners? And so every once in a while... We remind you that we are listener-sponsored. and When you're ready to help out, if this is a good time for you, and even if it's not, we'd like you to consider giving us a call or pointing your browser to kpfk.org slash donate. 
you're not ready to make a contribution right away, make a pledge. And uh, we can split those payments up or use the sustainer circle and have a little bit, $10, $25 a month, lifted right out of your account. It's painless, it's tax deductible, and it's easy to do. kpfk.org slash donate, or just pick up the phone and call 818-985-5735, 985-KPFK in the 818 area code. And someone will pick up there. Due to COVID, our phone rooms are closed, so we've subcontracted that out. And the person you end up talking to may not be in Los Angeles and may not, frankly, know that much about KPFK, but they have the books in front of them. They'll be able to help you out and tell you about premiums and thank you gifts and all of that. So we'll talk a little more about this at the end of the program, but I just wanted to remind you Here's a great opportunity to make a difference. 818-985-5735. And speaking of fundraising and philanthropy, I have the International Director of Philanthropy for an organization called Animal Equality, an international group that in the last, um, see, it's been about 15 years, I think, has done remarkable work in terms of expanding awareness and raising consciousness around the world about farm animal abuse. And as I mentioned earlier, this is really a a much bigger topic than it may appear to be at at first look. My guest is William Rivas-Rivas. And William, good afternoon and welcome to KPFK. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm very excited for our conversation. Well, good. I am too. I haven't done a program on animal rights in a while, and your organization, I think, goes a step further when it uses the title Animal Equality. Now, how literal do we take that? (laughs) Are all animals equal to all humans in terms of, what shall we say, civil rights? Certainly not human rights, but how do we compare and contrast animal rights to human rights? Mm -hmm. That's a really great question. I think a question that a lot of people uh, have, and I've been asked that many times in my career, uh, regardless of the organization that I've worked for. Uh, One of the things that I love about animal equality is is their name, and not just the work that we're doing, but it's it's succinct, and it it lets you know where we are. So animal equality, uh, and when, when we say that, we mean that, you know, Animals uh, are are equals when it comes to suffering. We focused on farmed animals, and I'll talk a little bit more about what I mean by farmed animals. But farm animals have uh, the capacity to feel pain. They have the capacity to suffer. They have capacity to enjoy their life. And so there are equals in that regard. They're not concerned about voting. They're not concerned about civil rights. They're not concerned about many of the other rights that we're we're concerned with. Uh, What they don't want, much like us, is to feel pain and to suffer. They want to be able to raise their young, to be free from hunger, disease, and in in all of those ways that are the most important when you get down to the core of what makes life enjoyable, there are equals. From the point of view of many people, maybe folks that don't have pets, I don't know what percentage of people don't have pets, but 
I guess that would be the introduction that most people have to animals, but I think there's a, at least in the past, a sense that animals are very stoic. They tolerate pain. We don't see them cry. An animal can suffer without demonstrating it. And hasn't it been only recently, the last few decades, that we've come to accept that animals really do have an emotional nature? <laughs> that's uh, that's that's exactly right. Before even jumping into non-human animals, I mean, the pain threshold is different amongst humans, uh, from an adult to a child or a man or a woman. I don't know about you, but I don't think I could uh, bear children. Uh, <laughs> the pain itself would be enough for me. And so, you know, in many of the ways that we have pointed to animals to try to accentuate their differences is to allow us to be able to use them for our purposes. So, um, yes, you know, equality doesn't mean the same. And animals, much like humans, will demonstrate happiness in different ways, sadness in different ways, pain in different ways. I don't know about you if you have animals, but I have two cats. Paloma and uh, Sophie Chloe. And um, cats are notorious for not showing any pain. Uh, they're also notorious for showing displeasure. Uh, and they'll quickly do that. <laughs> but, I mean, animals are, are different in many ways from each other and from us. But there is a well-documented uh, host of studies and research that shows a wide spectrum of emotions with animals. Uh, from animals and, and the ability to feel pain. For many, many years, people thought of fish as being animals that didn't feel pain. Um, but that's not true at all. Uh, in the last decade, there have been studies that have shown how fish respond to pain. So it, it is something that with more awareness, it's harder to justify some of the things that we do to animals, which we'll talk about in a little bit, um, because they are very similar to us and we, we can see the, the pain that we're inducing when we're uh, producing them for food. Now, logically, this takes me anyway to the next step, which is, as I said earlier, we're doing a program here week after week about, for the most part, the nature of consciousness. And in my research, I've discovered that scientists, real scientists, I think of myself as a journalist, reporting on the work of real scientists, have discovered that even microbes are conscious. That slime mold, for example, can solve the shortest path problem in a microscopic maze. That a single-celled organism like a, a paramecium or an amoeba, one cell, no nervous system. It is a single nerve. It is a, a single cell, and yet it has awareness of its existence. Well, that sort of leads to if animals are, in a sense, equal to humans, then what about insects and all the way down to what about microbes? Now you can't even walk or pour hot water down the drain because you're killing a million bacteria. Are they all screaming? I mean, if you don't mind me leaning into you a little bit here and playing devil's advocate, where do we draw the line or is there no line? Is this a matter of a sliding scale of ethics? 
That's a great question. I mean, I think uh, we're privileged to have the opportunity to even reflect on this. I think there are many, many people who don't have that opportunity in uh, developing countries who are going to eat whatever they can eat uh, or they're living their life uh, in order to survive. Um, for me, it's very different. You know, I, I've had the opportunity to reflect on the way that I live my life and what am I uh, doing to to contribute both positively and negatively. And so the line that, that, uh, that I draw and that my organization, Animal Quality, draws is in sentience. And uh, while, the, you know, I mean, plants will react to humans or, you know, uh, there's all sorts of uh, studies that show that, uh, but it's very different if cutting into a cucumber and uh, then castrating a piglet. It's very, very different. And so Animal Equality, my organization, whose mission is to end uh, cruelty to animals, is that we're looking at uh, where we're focused on farmed animals, first of all, which is the, the animals that, that are raised and killed in the largest numbers and arguably suffer the, the most. We're focused on farmed animals because of their, their ability to, to feel pain and suffer and, and in addition to their awareness. Well, again, though, nobody would think of just killing the neighbors. Well, I shouldn't say that. Some people might think about killing the neighbor's dog for just barking too loud, but most human beings would treat a, someone's pet, a cat or a dog, because of their size, I think, a horse or a cow or a pig or a goat, other farm animals, because of their size, differently than insects. So, you know, we'll swat a fly, we'll slap a mosquito, you know, poison a roach and think nothing of it. I think these questions have to come up at some point. So let me repeat myself. Is there a sliding scale of ethics here? I think there isn't perfection. And so it's not about personal purity. It's doing what you can. So I think I would agree with you that there is a sliding scale because you're absolutely right. I get into my car and drive to the store to get plant-based products because I don't want to contribute to animal suffering on factory farms. But in the process of walking out of my apartment to my car and into my car and driving there, who knows how many insects and animals I've, I've, I'll kill uh, on the way there. So I think you're right. I mean, to, to exist and to take up space, I think we're contributing to some amount of suffering. And what we want to do is reduce the amount of suffering as much as possible. And uh, when we're talking in the course of what people do three times a day or maybe you know, more, depending how hungry you are, uh, if you're eating you know, a hamburger, uh, a cheeseburger on July 4th or a turkey on Thanksgiving or eating eggs and bacon, it is, you know, more than a 99% chance that the animal animals that you're eating come from factory farms. And those factory farms uh, raise uh, literally billions of animals and, uh, you know, keep them in extreme confinement and they die in the in atrocious ways, that if when we become aware of that, um, I think we have a moral obligation to not support it. So that said, it doesn't make you uh, a perfect human being. You could be plant-based and not supporting factory farming, but still causing some, some suffering. 
I think that's the best answer I've ever heard to that kind of question, William. And I hear that coming from the heart more than the head. We do what we can. I mean, without a doubt. Yeah. And to be aware that animals suffer is where we have to begin because most of us think of meat as coming in saran-wrapped packages. We don't think of the farm. We don't think of the steak or chop as being part of an animal's pot. I remember as a little boy uh, having breakfast and asking my mother where eggs came from. And she told me in such a way, I don't recall her exact words. I must have been three or four years old. But I could not eat the egg. I had no idea it came out of a chicken's body. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could remember how my mother explained it. But no more than 24 hours later, I was eating eggs again. You know, I fell right back into that hypnosis, I guess, that uh, that oblivious, uh, don't think about food that way. But in those days, farmers were guys in bib overalls. And now farmers are hedge fund guys on Wall Street. The family farm is dying quickly. You're in Austin. You're in Texas where Willie Nelson has done an enormous amount with the support of so many other musicians to try to save the family farm. It's now big business. And while organic farming of produce and grains is coming back, there's still a huge opportunity for us to recognize what factory farming really means. I mean, Mm -hmm. let's start with your expose on the baby chicks. I don't think most people have any idea what happens to male baby chicks every day. Mm -hmm. So just to very quickly go back to what you were saying about eggs. I mean, I think it's wonderful that your mom even shared with you the truth behind that. I think we're challenged now, um, you know, a, uh, a, a typical 13-year-old can probably name uh, five or six, seven, who knows how many corporate brands, um, but they can't name five or six trees. And uh, an adult, I think, would have a very difficult time being able to explain how their food got to their plate. It's by design. We're not meant to see the factory farm. We're not, we're, we don't, you can't right now, Michael, call a slaughterhouse in Los Angeles and ask to come visit. I mean, it's by design. We're not, we're not uh, able to see these things. So it, it is sort of out of sight and out of mind. But factory farming is a very, very real problem and not just in the U.S., but uh, all over the world. It's where the majority of animals that are uh, uh, produced for food come from. And I think you're, Listeners might be wondering, what is a factory farm? And that is an industrial farm. It's industrial animal agriculture. And it's where the animals that we eat in the United States, pigs, chickens, cows, rabbits, um, even fish uh, come from. The, the vast overwhelming majority of the animals will come from there. The question that you brought up about uh, the culling of the chicks. Again, I think some people may be wondering, well, what's wrong with eggs? You know, you're not uh, you're not killing the hen. The problem is that in every step of factory farming, it is by design 
to create the maximum profit with the least amount of resources. So in this case, so animals are the commodity. So in this case, if we take a look at the egg, egg industry and we can talk more about what that actually means, the hens lay eggs, but when they uh, lay an egg, there's a 50-50 chance of is it a, a male or a female. And for the egg-laying uh, industry, the male chick, they're not viable for the industry. And so the male chicks are separated from the female chicks and they're destroyed because they have no value to the industry. So they're destroyed by suffocation. Um, they're thrown into huge industrial grinders. And if, but if you're, you know, if you're eating eggs and you're supporting the egg industry, that's a part of the egg industry. But that's something no one would know. That's something that a child or even a parent would know. And that's why my organization and the, one of the pillars of the work that we do are investigations, undercover investigations, because they are incredibly important to penetrate uh, the walls of uh, industrial agriculture and factory farms and in slaughterhouses so that we can go in with cameras and expose the cruelty, the day-to-day -day cruelty uh, and the abysmal conditions that animals that we are eating um, are experiencing. And I think for the average person, and in my experience, anecdotally, having traveled all over the U.S. and all over the world, talking about animal protection, when people become aware, when they see these images, they want to make a difference. They don't want to support that. And that brings us to dairy, but I need to take a short break. I'll, I'm going to follow this on by talking with you a little bit about uh, milk and cheese and butter and and where that all comes from, too, and why we should be concerned about dairy. You're listening to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK. We're talking with William Rivas Rivas from Animal Equality. And we'll have more right after that. We realize that times are definitely tough for so many right now and that you may have had to rethink what you can afford to give to your favorite nonprofit organizations. That's why we're so appreciative of those contributions that we actually do receive. It says a lot about how important KPFK is to you that you continue to voluntarily invest in this station. We thank you because you're helping to provide this essential community service to everyone in our region and beyond. You're helping to move the conversation forward. And if you're able to, but haven't yet, please make that investment in KPFK right now. Please go to kpfk.org and pledge securely online or call us at 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK. Thank you. Welcome back to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School program on KPFK in Los Angeles. Live streaming for the world at kpfk.org and, of course, podcast on all platforms. We're talking about animal rights and uh, consciousness and self-awareness. And my guest is William Rivas Rivas, who is the International Director of Philanthropy for a group called Animal Equality. 
And if you're just joining us, we talked about what does that mean literally, that animals are equal to what and in what way. And what we've come down to is their experience of pain and suffering. And uh, we do what we can. So let's first create an awareness of how much unnecessary suffering, like these baby chicks you talk about, I don't see why they couldn't be anesthetized before they were fed into the chipper, the grinder, other than the fact that that's an extra step that costs money. They have no problem using broad-spectrum antibiotics as a preventative in farm animals, and now we're just breeding these super bugs, these bacteria that are increasingly immune to antibiotics seems so foolish, and yet we just can't get the legislation to to regulate this. But again, it begins with awareness. I don't think most of us understand what a dairy really looks like and how you get a maximum amount of milk. You know, it's not just the milkmaid going out to the barn with a bucket anymore. How do you maximize the production of milk in a Big dairy. You know, we have to remember that um, I think for many of us, when we're thinking about animals or we're thinking about our food, we have this very idyllic uh, memory. Uh, Old MacDonald had a farm. And we think about uh, animals on green pastures. Uh, We think of a postcard from Wisconsin. Uh, And that's just not the case. You know, if you if you travel out west or if you're in rural areas, uh, you will know that you're coming across a factory farm or a feedlot before before you can even see it because of the the smell. Uh, we're talking about animal tens or sometimes hundreds of thousands of animals confined in small spaces uh, because again, these animals in the industry are commodities. It's no different in the dairy industry. There aren't a couple cows out on a hill in which, like you said, you know, someone goes out and milks uh, the cow. Animals are machines. They're milk-making machines. So what's important to note that cows, like a, like a, a female human, produces milk after having uh, a child, an offspring. So... In order for a cow to produce milk, she has to be uh, artificially inseminated uh, and then the gestation of nine months. And then when she delivers her offspring, her child, immediately upon birth, that infant baby cow is then removed from the mother. So just think about the suffering that takes place from the dairy cow losing her child immediately upon birth. And the milk that was meant for that that's designed for that cow, which will grow to have four stomachs and double its weight in 40 days, um, not meant for humans. It's not designed for humans. That milk is then you know, sold for human consumption. So there's a lot of suffering that goes on. So bear in mind that these uh, cows, these dairy cows or cows used in the dairy operations will be artificially inseminated, uh, impregnated, they're the for as long as they can produce milk, which will last about two to two and a half years, maybe a little bit longer. And then when they can no longer produce milk, 
uh, they will be sent to slaughter and they will become hamburger patties. So from the moment that they arrive in the dairy farm to the moment that they're slaughtered, it's, it's intense pain and suffering. Cows are, you know, they're, they're machines. They, they're, they're, they literally have machines connected to them, uh, getting the milk out uh, and milking them for human consumption. And the question that I would ask you know, your listeners is that, um, you know, what species outside of the human uh, species drinks milk outside of infancy or drinks milk uh, uh, from another species? We're the only ones. Well, you mentioned plant-based burgers earlier, and uh, fortunately there's an explosion of awareness about milk alternatives. And uh, we've been drinking soy milk and almond milk, which I don't really care for. It's sort of like white water. But then I discovered oat milk, and <laughs> I'm hooked. I'm an oat milk convert, and... Uh, you know, a cup of oats and some water in a mixer and a Vitamix with a little bit of oil and avocado or some cashews, and, boy, you got the best milk you could ever want, and no, nobody has to suffer. No, it, it's fantastic. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And oats are, it's, it's not like almonds where it takes a couple of gallons of water to produce one almond. Oats are usually grown in uh, northern climes and, we have an abundance of oats, most of which go to feedstock, actually. So if we eat fewer animals, we'll have more oats for us. That's absolutely right. It, it, you know, eating animals is also an incredibly inefficient way to eat. You know, all of the grains and vegetables and all the things that you feed to animals, if fed directly to humans, or if the space that's required to house these animals were used for growing crops for humans, we could eradicate hunger. Isn't it like something like 18 units of grain to produce one protein unit of meat, something like that? There's different measures. Um, and I, I don't remember the, the latest, but you know, it's, it's like 12 or 13 calories into, let's say, uh, a chicken to get one calorie out in form of uh, um, you know, calories for humans. So, I mean, it's just drastically inefficient. It's like, for example, me making uh, 13 bowls of pasta for you and then just giving you one and throwing the other 12 out. <laughs> I mean, it's a waste of food. It's a waste of water, space, and all the grains uh, to, to keep these animals alive under conditions that would normally kill them. You know, we have to use antibiotics, um, you know, it's just every aspect of the process is one that not only causes suffering and pain for the animal, but also has an impact for human health. You know, it's, a lot of this is a matter of scale. We compared the uh, archetype of the milkmaid with her little apron and her, her uh, steel bucket going out to the barn to milk bossy to you know, the the factory dairy farm. Um, I remember somebody calling my talk show years and years ago when I took telephone calls, and he was a so-called conservative or right-winger, and he was saying that uh, the problem with liberals and progressives in general is that we just don't appreciate that there's no real difference between 
Hoover Dam and the Beaver Dam, that beavers have been destroying the ecology for millions of years and everything is just fine. And I said, wait a minute, they're not similar at all. The beaver evolved and it took hundreds of thousands, indeed millions of years for the beaver dam to become part of the ecology. Hoover Dam goes up in a decade and the ecology has changed forevermore. So the fact that we're able with our technology to be so inappropriate to farm animals, to generate food on an inappropriate scale seems to be a big part of the problem. Mm -hmm. One of the questions that I've received often in my career is, you know, someone will say, well, all right, all your arguments are very compelling, but what are we supposed to do with all these animals? <laughs> if we don't eat them, they're going to just, you know, take over. That's what the beer hunters say. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, that's just not the case. All the animals on factory farms have been specifically designed for a single purpose. Uh, they've been genetically manipulated to either have larger breasts or grow really rapidly or to produce lots of flesh without regard of what that does to the animal. For for example, a lot of uh, uh, chickens, in what they call broiler chickens, so these are chickens that are raised for meat, so they need to have really large breasts and lots of flesh. Well, their internal organs can't keep up. And one of the leading causes of deaths of broiler chickens are heart attacks. They can't, they, their, their legs splay out, their bones break because they can't withstand their abnormal body weight. If that's not science gone wrong, I don't know what is. And this is what, you know, the general consumer is eating. And then we consume those growth hormones and those antibiotics without a thought as to the impact on our health. Exactly right. You know, what we're consuming, I mean, again, I, I think most of us, if we had to, could uh, go out there, plant some seeds in our garden, uh, water, you know, take care of the pests. You know, we could do everything that's required in order to, like, raise food from a garden. I'm not sure if any of us could go into... Uh, a slaughterhouse and uh, do what it takes in order to, um, you know, kill an animal that does not want to be killed, an animal that's likely uh, fighting for his or her life, and then to go through that entire process. I mean, that that for me would turn my stomach, and I wouldn't want to be a part of it at all. I mean, as you mentioned, I'm from Texas. I was born and raised in Texas, and I was eating my way through the animal kingdom. I mean, I had never in my life thought about what it was that I was consuming. And it wasn't until, you know, through a series of uh, of events in my life that I was becoming more aware, I mean, getting back to awareness, becoming w more aware of my contribution. What am I doing to make society better? What am I doing that is, uh, you know, causing suffering? And that I had the the realization of uh, that when I was eating animals, I was paying into the system that treats animals as commodities 
uh, in which laws don't recognize them as sentient beings, but as property or as things. And I could not be a part of that. A lot of people going back 30, 40 years have been concerned about the slaughter of whales because they're such an ancient species, have such enormous brains, and uh, exhibit really high intelligence. Let's talk about pigs. Mm -hmm. They're smarter than your border collie or your golden retriever. Pigs are really, really smart. Can you give us a summation of the backstory on the pig farm in Scotland that I read about on your website. So we, that, yeah, so that's a really great point. Um, the cognitive function of, of pigs is very, very high. They're, they're smarter than our dogs. And I think they've been equated to, either, I think, a three- or four-year-old. They're very, very intelligent beings. But with regard, without, without regard to intelligence, as you know, we, we, you know, we, we make no difference whether uh, an animal smart or not. We don't want to uh, cause and do pain and suffering. But we did an undercover investigation of a pig farm in Scotland, and you can learn more information about that uh, investigation that we did on our, our website, animalequality.org. But, um, it, it, what we found was that when piglets, and this is standard industry practice, when piglets aren't growing rapidly enough, again, because you need very large pigs, uh, because you want to maximize profits, then those piglets, you don't want to waste, and this is the industry, uh, talking, you don't want to waste resources on, uh, animals that aren't going to be profitable. So in this case, a small, tiny piglet that is not keeping up with, uh, with the size requirements, they will have to be destroyed. And in this case, we often, we have seen it in many investigations. There, there was what's called thumping. The pigs are grabbed by the piglets are grabbed by their legs and they're slammed on the concrete floor. But in this case, we found in our investigation, uh, piglets being killed with hammers. And I want to be sensitive to what your listeners uh, might be experiencing right now. So it, it is a difficult conversation to have. And it's something that, that we, as much as possible, when we're wanting to expose what's, what's going on, what's actually going on through our undercover investigations, you know, we want people to be able to make an informed decision by seeing with their own eyes what is happening. I saw a TV program featuring Gordon Ramsay, this internationally well-known chef, who was teaching his children to raise a pet pig. And this pig had a name and lived in the yard. And when it got old enough, this pet was taken at dad's direction, Gordon Ramsay, to a local slaughterhouse, kids in tow, and hit in the forehead between the eyes with a hammer. And that's how they put that pig down. But I was just blown away. My wife and I were just gobsmacked that the kids would be involved in all of this. And it makes me wonder, is there outreach to 4-H and future farmers and working with these 
kids that are probably going to spend their whole life on farms because there's always going to be a demand for meat. And if these farms could be decentralized and decorporatized, so to speak, isn't it likely that we could bring some more humanity? Gee, I don't know if that word even means anything anymore, given the way we act. But you know what I mean? Generate this food in in a uh, more humane way? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. I mean, at Animal Quality, again, we're our mission is to end cruelty to animals. Uh, but you know, bear in mind, I think there's a there's a there's a number of ways that you can do that. So, obviously, our programs. So we have uh, four distinct uh, lines of program programming, which are investigations, where we do our undercover exposés. We're going into farms. We're also doing uh, corporate outreach where we're working with companies to eliminate the worst abuses in their, uh, the worst practices in their uh, business. So that means that unfortunately that the animals are still in the system. They're still going to be killed for, for food, but you can eliminate their suffering while they're in the system. And that's important to us because of course we want everyone to stop eating animals and stop supporting factory farms, but we know that's not realistic. So we're taking a pragmatic approach. We use our investigations to show people what's happening. Then we, education, so individuals, but we use that same footage for corporations to show them, hey, this is what your uh, contractor is doing. This is what your farm is doing. You know, we, we will bring a campaign to your constituency unless you make these changes. So then those, they make those changes. But then we also take that same footage and use it for legislative initiatives to make changes, um, that will impact not only the animals that are in the system now, but future animals so that we can remove some of those abuses also legislatively. And then lastly, our educational programs were, we're going to universities, well, not in the pandemic, but we were previously going to universities, going to conferences, um, going to different events, music venues, things like that. And we would bring our footage and our materials to show people and talk to them about the realities of uh, factory farming. There's so much here. We, we've barely touched on the environmental and ecological deforestation, the pollution of streams and rivers, the impact that has on the ecosystem and wildlife, workers' rights, these impoverished people that are forced to labor long days with few benefits and sub-minimum wage in filthy conditions with no hope of advancement and the impact on their mental and, and emotional health. I wish we had several more hours, actually, to begin to realize the true scope of, of what you folks are involved in. But I want to support you and give you an opportunity to uh, let people know how they can find out more about animal equality. What, what's your website? What's the? I think you have some fundraising of your own coming up pretty soon here. What's the best way for folks to get involved? Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. So to learn more about the work that we're doing, Go to animalequality.org. That's animalequality.org. We're an international animal protection nonprofit. We're working in eight countries. Uh, we're here working in, in the U.S., and our mission is to end cruelty to animals. Um, 
the work that we're doing, we want to have the greatest impact for animals possible. And so I think impact is very important. And if someone is compelled to support us, starting June 1st, that is the perfect time to support us because we have what we call a matching gift challenge. We have a very generous supporter that for the month of June will be matching every dollar that comes in, up to $250,000. So if you want to have an impact and make a change for an animal, if you donate $10, in effect, you're donating 20 If you donate 100 in effect, you're donating $200. So animalquality.org uh, slash donate, and that's where you can be supportive of the work that we're doing, and you can also learn more about uh, our organization. And I'll leave just a, a thought uh, for your for your listeners, something that I heard recently, which just blew my mind. And that is that every single year we slaughter more animals for food than humans have ever existed. And that to me is just mind-boggling when you take into consideration the billions of animals that are killed every single year, uh, land animals, and then you take into consideration the trillions of fish that are killed every single year. Uh, I think that's staggering. And I think when we become aware of not only how they're suffering and dying and how it impacts, as you said, workers' rights, uh, our human health, the environment, and just as important, uh, the animals, that I think we, we can we can take steps to make a change and not support that. Let me in a personal way say to our listeners that I understand that this kind of programming might upset you and you may feel like, sitting down and writing a letter or an email or doing something on your own, sending that off to some big corporation, some corporate farm. But in a way, you're sort of replicating the wheel, and it's a scattergun approach. If instead you support groups like Animal Equality that are organized, that have professionals like William that have dedicated their lives to research and study and and pinpointing where they can do the most good, that's the way you maximize your impact on the world. And so I often say here at KPFK, support what supports you. And animal equality is not the only animal rights organization, but they're a damn fine organization and they're doing great work. And William... I want to thank you for, uh, I've been in radio 40-some years. This is one of the best animal rights interviews I've ever done. And I think uh, it's because you come from your heart more than your head. Not that you leave logic out of it. <laughs> You're a very reasonable person, but you understand what I mean. And that's where ethics and values and morals begin. They're, they're, uh, they're emotional. They're heart-based. But more than that, they're spiritual, and they speak to the connectedness of life on this planet. Increasingly, humanity is realizing that this is not a you-or-me world unless that's our belief system. And then we generate evidence that we are at odds with each other, and uh, competition rules. But once we begin to recognize that it's in fact, a you and me world, that we're all in this together. And that uh, when recognizing mutual benefit replaces self-interest, we're still part of that 
mutual benefit, their self-interest <laughs> in what's good for everybody. It's nothing to be afraid of. A lot, a lot of it is just fear. And we do that with knowledge and information and, uh, and understanding and compassion. And I think you and your organization do a fine job of, uh, representing all of that. So thank you again. Thank you very much for being with us and, uh, Give my regards to the people that you work with, the people who facilitated this interview for us. And uh, we'll be in touch. We'll do this again down the calendar. Okay? I hope so. Thank you so much for your time. It was a real pleasure. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. Thank You're you. listening to KPFK in Los Angeles. This is the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. I'm Michael Benner, and we'll be back with more right after this. If you've tuned into KPFK at all during these last few weeks, you've likely heard your favorite hosts asking you to make a financial contribution in support of this listener-sponsored community radio station. If you have made your contribution, we want to say thank you so much. If you're able to pledge but still have not yet, we really urge you to do so now. The amount of that contribution is, of course, up to you. A single $25 pledge will make you a member, and an ongoing monthly pledge will make you a sustaining member, which is very helpful for KPFK. Only you know what's right for you. As you decide, please consider how consistently KPFK focuses on the issues that matter and how much the world needs to continue hearing the important voices that regularly broadcast over the KPFK airwaves. Then please give as generously as you're able. You can make your pledge on our website at kpfk.org slash donate, or you can call 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK. Thank you for listening, and thank you for contributing. And we're back with the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK. 90.7 FM, all over Southern California. Once again, I want to thank our guest today, William Rivas Rivas from Animal Equality. And, uh, well, some of what we heard was rather disturbing. I hope it did have an impact on you and will cause you to rethink your diet and the role that factory farming plays in degrading the environment and contributing to global warming not to mention the cruelty to animals, the vast majority of which is unnecessary. And now in the few minutes that we have remaining, I want to talk about an opportunity you have to support the mission of this radio station, which during this hour each week, the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, is all about raising consciousness, lifting your awareness, expanding the choices you make, allowing you and encouraging you to be ever more self-aware of your impact in the world. It seems to me self-evident that commercial radio and TV and print media, for that matter, what's left of newspapers and magazines, by the very fact that they accept advertising and that business is increasingly a conglomerate, a cartel, a, a monopoly, that the news and information that you're exposed to through that commercial media is going to have bias. Those sponsors will have influence, strong influence, if not control, over the editorial content. For that reason, this radio station went on the air 61 years ago here in Los Angeles as listener-sponsored programming. For most of the year, every hour 
of programming on KPFK is 100% programming. It's a talk show. It's an interview. It's news and information and commentary. Occasionally, it's music as well from around the world. All progressive, diverse, eclectic, and commercial-free, you see. And even in the midst of our fun drive, at the very height of our fun drive, like the spring fun drive we're in now, we take less time pitching for this radio station than normally you would spend listening to commercials all year round. And yet the best way to get us back to our regular programming to end this fun drive and to give you 100% of what you come here for, we need your help right now. This program, the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, has only been on the air since the beginning of this year. And so though I've had programs in the past on KPFK, it's going to take a while to build the audience up again. And right now, I'm disappointed in the amount of money that we're raising during this hour. We used to pull thousands and thousands of dollars during my old Inner Vision show, which was in this same time slot, only on Friday afternoon. Initially, in the early 90s, we were on Thursday nights at 11 o'clock. And even then, we solicited more money for KPFK and its nonprofit mission than we are currently. So I'm a little disappointed. I do understand, and yet I'm going to ask you to step up today and make a pledge, a donation or contribution to KPFK before the top of the hour. So that in addition to supporting KPFK, you're supporting programming about consciousness, about health and spirituality, about metaphysics and science, and about the understanding that in spite of the appearance of separation, we're all in this mix together. An understanding of the planet's ecosystem, its life support system, is probably the best example of the oneness of all things, the way that which appears to be separate and diverse is actually all connected, where every life form touches every other life form. We're not merely blocks of matter banging around in a world of separated form. We are energy. We exist as a unified force field of energy, of spirit, and consciousness is what imbues it. That's fundamental. That's foundational. And along with consciousness comes conscience and awareness. That's what consciousness is. And awareness starts with an understanding that in spite of the appearance of separation, there's just one thing at work here. And we need to work together. That's what peace and love is. Moving into a peaceful state, a state of expanded awareness, allows you to recognize that there are higher ethics and values and, and morals that go along with being ever more conscious. Now, wouldn't you want to support that? To join what you're already part of? Think, think of what I'm saying. To join and support what you're already part of, which is a community, a family, really, of women and men who recognize that we need to work together for the greater good of all. That's our ultimate mission. It's like a union. We, we come together for the greater good of all. A friend of mine was telling me the other day about how at the beginning of the pandemic last year, 
he organized the tenants in his apartment building because he recognized the likelihood that there would be evictions. And by coming together, they proactively prevented a number of evictions because they had a defense. They were then able to say, well, the reason this person is being evicted is as retribution for having joined the union. You know that Woody Guthrie song, I'm sticking with the union, organizing farm workers. I'm in a union. I currently draw a pension from having been in a union throughout my entire life. The American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. And I've always been a big union supporter. I think it's essential. You know, united we stand, divided we fall, that whole thing. No commercial television or radio station is going to bring you that message. Not hour after hour, day after day, week after week, and month after month. Only KPFK. And we need your support. So, it's as easy as picking up the phone right now and calling the phone room at 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK. Or point your browser to our website, kpfk.org slash donate. kpfk.org slash donate. And make your contribution there. Reminding you, this program streams at the website theagelesswisdom.com the T-H-E is part of it the W's dot theagelesswisdom.com and this podcast on all platforms and you can check out my stuff at michaelbenner.com have a wonderful week and as always be gentle love life and take care of each other this is Michael Benner you're listening to KPFK Los Angeles <laughs>